0: Part One from Job chapters one to to verse ten. So we are doing a, a short series called Encounters with God, in which we are looking at different Bible characters who have had extraordinary encounters with the living God. So far, we've looked at at Moses and Elijah, each one over a period of, of two weeks. First, the setup, and then the uh, the encounter. Now this morning we, we look at another well-known character, Job. The, there's a whole book that bears his name and it's not a short book but it is part of the, the wisdom literature in the Bible which includes the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and certainly some of the Psalms are also considered wisdom Psalms. Now his name... His name might have been derived. We don't exactly know where the name Job comes from. It doesn't mean job as in work, but it means something else. It could be derived from the Hebrew, which means persecuted one, or it could come from the Arabic word meaning repentant one. Repentant one. So most scholars believe that Job lived around about the same time as the patriarchs, Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, uh, in the in the desert lands, somewhere in the northern um, part of Arabia, somewhere around there. Now, as far as we know, he had no contact with them, so his faith in the living God came from a God Himself, from a very totally separate, independent source, from which we have, for example. Abraham and the patriarchs. The book gives us many lessons that we can it's very useful, particularly when it comes to dealing with pain and suffering and where is God in all of that? In in theological terms it's called a theophany how God acts in the midst of suffering and what is our response to it. Now, one of these age old debates is the old question why do bad things happen to good people? I think we all sort of expect and understand why things happen to bad people, but why do they happen to good people? And the book of Job, however, teaches that the righteous, the good people, shall suffer indeed. We might not be satisfied with Answer, but we have to accept it nevertheless. But God allows pain for good reason. And He may never, He may never reveal those reasons to us, not this side of heaven. Sometimes He might, a lot of times He doesn't. So Job and his friends are left to speculate as to the cause for his misery. After all. It is human nature to to try and and find answers and to find a correlation between bad behaviour and bad circumstances and good behaviour and and blessings. The fact, what I want to tell you this morning is that we have to do away with those assumptions and I think that is an important element in this book. Now you will notice that the first two chapters are like a a very fast-paced film. Sometimes I set up films in this way, bang, bang, bang. It's just one after the other. The scenes zip one after the other as an entire life is squeezed. As it falls apart, it is squeezed down and falls apart in just handful of sentences. Afterwards, for the next 38 chapters, things slow right down as Job and his friends try to make sense of it all. So let us set it up this morning and we will conclude hopefully next week, if Jesus has not returned by then. That would be good. Now... First of all, his character in verses 1 to 5. I, I, I don't read all the verses, but uh, some of the verses. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys. He had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes, in their birthdays and they would invite three sisters to eat and drink with them and when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified and early in the morning he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. I want you to know three things. Three R's about this man. I, had, I copied these three R's from somebody else. So here it is. He was righteous. It says here this man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He was righteous. He was rich. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. There's an inventory there of his wealth. Thousands of camels and donkeys and servants. We hate this guy because you can't be rich and righteous at the same time, right? If you're rich, you have to be a thief or a dishonest somehow. You can't possibly be like this. He was the wealthiest man of his day. And to top it off, he was religious. We just have to hate him. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in the heart. This was Job's regular custom. He sought, in the morning, he sought devotion with God. He was devoted to God. It appears that even then, even then, even for someone like Job, it was hard to know what our kids got up to in the best of times. So this is why Job would plead to God on their behalf, pleading for their children. What else could he do? And because of this, because of the way he lived his life, God took delight in him. He was God's delight. In verses 6 to 8. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered, From roaming through the earth, going to and fro from it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like, on, on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And, and notice God's word and it's repeated twice. Twice this statement is made. Then it comes in the, in the second chapter. And, the, and this is, is, is a key part to understanding the story here. Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. These are the words of a proud father, are they not? He is almost bragging about his kids. Now, it's, it's not Satan who brings Job up to God. It's God almost bragging about his servant. He's saying, all right, Satan, you're looking for a good man. Let me tell you about Job. Job. He's the best one I got. I don't think you can break him down. I really don't. Now, I don't know whether you thought about this much, or how you view our heavenly Father. Do you view him with a big stick, just waiting for you to do wrong till whack, You know, whack you over the head with it. Oh, there you go again. Get out the cane. Is that how you view a heavenly father? Now, obviously, many times we do deserve it and he might do that to discipline his children. But our father also delights and takes pleasure in his children, does he not? Have you ever thought about that, of your heavenly father? Oh, how he loves us. We just sung that. Is it hard for you to sing that? Just just think about the love of the Father, how deep it is, how wondrous it is, how amazing. Oh, how he loves us. I'm not making this stuff up. It's in the Bible. Look at, the, look at Psalm 147, verse 11. The psalmist said, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. In those who hope in his, what? Steadfast love. God's delight. Then, of course, we have the accuser, verses 9 to 12. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge what protection around him? and his household and everything he has. You have blessed the work of his hands. His flocks are herds spread through the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. It's interesting that in these verses we are, are, are allowed to peer into the heavenly realms. It's one of those rare occasions in scripture. These were events that would have a direct impact, a bearing on Job and his family and his possessions, his servants. So, so the reader you and me, are allowed to to see and understand a little bit of what transpired behind the curtain, behind the scenes. Now I think it would have made a huge difference in Job's life and his reaction to all of this had he known what was happening in heaven. But he didn't. And in the normal course of life, neither do we. When things happen to you and me in our world that we don't understand, we can ask questions, we, we speculate, but ultimately we don't know. And and, and most people the other thing here is that most people have, including Christians, including many Christians, have this wrong misconception about Satan when they believe that Satan is, is in hell, that he's stuck in hell somewhere. The Bible doesn't teach that. If Satan were in hell today, we would have very few problems, I've got to tell you. Yes, there will come a day, there will come a day when Satan and his cohorts will be cast into the lake of fire, that is the promise, Revelation twenty. But that won't happen until Jesus returns. Between now and then we lived in this in between times, Satan roams about on the earth like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. he's on a leash but he's still roaming and notice that satan's question here we do give satan a bad rap sometimes i know but we have to be right in in, in when we do accuse him of doing wrong uh, obviously satan questions Satan's question here are not unreasonable in in human terms because he's simply expressing something that we as humans usually think about. He's expressing something that most non-believers assume about believers. It's not hard to believe in God when everything is going your way. Right? Right? Anyone can do that, and 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 Satan is not lying when he's saying that. He is speaking something that is heard everywhere. But when life tumbles in, what then? You and I serve God in the sunshine. What happens? When the storm's coming. Will you still serve him in the in the shadows? He was good, he was very good. It was easy to bless his name when your business was good and the family was all together around the big table. Is it still good when you stand around an open grave? And Satan's intention, I will repeat this a few times, Satan's intention is to draw the glory away from God and God's children are the prime target. Revelation tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's his name, the accuser. Revelation 12.10 And Satan is is like the, the, the prosecuting attorney. He brings up all the charges. He exposes our faults and weaknesses before God. Not just the things we've done now, but look at our record. Wow, a rap sheet here. Good news is that the saints of God, the children of God, have an advocate. They have a pretty good lawyer, a defence attorney, the advocate. And even while he accuses us before God, we have one who pleads our case before the throne. His name is Jesus. John says this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an... An advocate. We have a lawyer with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Isn't that great news? So let's go to the first trials. Verse 14. A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were ploughing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. And the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Then the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties Mm -hmm. and swept down your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword. Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the eldest brother's homes when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. He collapsed on them and they were dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. It was no coincidence that in each instance Satan spared a single servant so that they could go to Job and deliver the bad news. In this day and age, it would have just been a smartphone, right? Bang, bang, bang. But in this case, it's one servant, bang, another one and another one. And, and, and only God knows what distance they had to travel to deliver the news, but they all seem to come round about, ended up round about the same time. And as each messenger came to Job, a dagger is thrust into his heart. And after Satan has destroyed his, all his wealth, he turns his attack in a more personal way by attacking his children, his family. And Satan, I'm pretty pretty sure he was was certain that with this last attack that Job would finally give in and, and be driven over the edge. Can't handle it. Can't do this anymore. Because the devil's ultimate purpose was to get Job to curse the Lord so that he could steal one of his own, one of his proud ones, one of his, you know, steal God's glory. And this whole episode had nothing to do, in, in a way, had nothing to do with, with Job's wealth or with his children. They, or his servants, they were caught up in this heavenly crossfire. When tragedy strikes, you might have noticed, and I know that some of you have gone through stuff like this, it usually comes in sets of waves. I say three waves, sets of three, but there could be more. Um, There's no rule about that one. And, And we think, and we think this must be the worst of it. Then comes another knock at the door. And just when it seems that things can't get any more, any worse, the bottom falls out again. Another one. Job lost it all. Not in a year or six months or a couple of weeks, he lost it all in a single afternoon. And we know that this what this is like. One minute you're on top of the world and you lose it all in the twinkling of an eye. It's the shadow in the X ray. It's the accident on the road. It's the collapse of the business. And tragedy can come to the, to the same house, to the same people again and again, that there is nothing you can do to stop it. It is out of your control. Because we are control freaks, this is out of our control. So what did Job do? So we're not at all surprised that he grieved, shaved his head, tore his clothes. These are the actions of a man whose heart has been torn apart. What we are surprised is that he fell to the ground and worshipped. He didn't swear didn't lose his lock in that sense. He said this, he said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. At that moment when his world caved in, Job turned from his financial loss and the loss of his children to look unto the face of God. It's like he's that situation and he looked up. To look into the face of the God that he, he loved more than his wealth. To the God that he loved even more than his family. And I, I think that's something else that we need to be careful of. Because we tend to worship our children here. In our world. Everything we have. Our families, our kids, our wealth. Everything belongs to God. And this is what Job was recognizing. That the Lord has given and he's decided to take it away. And, and this is what should differentiate the Christian from the rest of the world. They weep, we weep. They get angry, we worship. Our sorrow is just as real as, as theirs, but their sorrow leads to despair. Ours has to lead to, to worship. The Bible tells us, Ephesians chapter 6, that there is an invisible conflict, an invisible war that is being waged around us today. All the terrible stuff that we are witnessing today in parliament, in the courts, in the worlds, is simply a visible expression of this invisible conflict in the heavenly realm. and far too often we are the casualties of that war we're not even aware of it satan attacks god's children in many ways but his ultimate goal is always the same he wants to undermine our faith so that he can get he can chip away at god's glory And he will stop at nothing in his attempt to do that if it were not for the restraint that God has on him. Now we go to the second trial, which is found in chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Verse 4: Satan, skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all that he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this Job did not sin in what he said. So God gives permission to Satan who then goes for the jugular. He ups the ante and gets personal by touching not just his wealth, not just his family, but now his health. And Satan assumes that at the core of our being we are all, of of course, sinful sinful nature, by sinful nature we are selfish. We are all into self-preservation. We will give anything for that. If you, don't look, if you don't look after yourself, nobody will. And, yeah, there's a pandemic on self-preservation at the moment. But every now and then something does surprise us. That guy in Victoria who was at the, in his backyard and he heard screaming from the neighbour. And a woman, just there were intruders, they started to wreak havoc into her house and he jumped the fence, got in there, They broke his skull, they stabbed him like 10 times and he said he survived and he says, I will do it all again if I had to. There are still those who risk life and limb to save others. It is obvious that everything that happened to Job would affect his wife also, having lost all her kids She has a very different response to that of Job. In anger, in observing all the tragedy, she responds differently. If serving the Lord means being treated like this, she reasoned, it's better to be dead. What are the friends going to think? Right? What's going to happen to all the parties? What's going to happen to my trip to the Gold Coast? What happened to, you know, I'm going to have to quit the show, Life of the Rich and Famous? Instead of comforting her husband, she urges him to curse God and die. In doing this, do you notice that she was actually doing the very thing that Satan told God Job would do? That she was actually Satan's mouthpiece. But he didn't. In fact, Job's response was extraordinary. You're talking like a foolish woman. You're going to accept God only good and no trouble? As we come to a close, here is the truth that we all need to understand. What happened to him happened not because he was an evil man. It happened to him because he was a good man. Need to get that through our thick skull, guys. You will not understand this book and you will not understand the Bible unless you accept this truth. Job, Daniel, Joseph are all case studies in the suffering of the righteous. What better example is there, of course, than our Saviour Jesus Christ who was perfect in every way? The suffering of the righteous. The Bible shows the devil's Destructive behavior because that is what he does. And this is one of the reasons why there is so much suffering in our world. It also teaches us that God permits his children to be tested. From beginning to end, the entire affair was under the control of the sovereign, almighty God. He set the limits. Now, is that comforting? It should be. It should be. Because nothing happens in your life or mine that is not part of His perfect plan for our lives. He controls the timing, the duration, and the extent of our trials and disruptions. And everything He allows into our lives is for our good and His ultimate glory. Am I making this stuff up? No. Romans 8.28. You should memorize this. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Amen. Amen. Thank you.